Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right, you are listening to The Mystery of Parenthood, and um, we're glad you are. Um, So we're going to begin, as we always do, with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. All right. All right, it's me and uh, Thaddeus yet again. Sorry, guys, out there <laughs> to listen to us again. But uh, How you doing, Trey? Good to see you. It's good to see you. Yeah, no, it's um, a great time of year, and um, always busy at the end trying to wrap up. I'm, I miss Stephanie. I don't feel like I yeah, don't have no. in any way do I think I fill her shoes at all. Well, I don't know. It's I'm a lack. Better, I'm better with her and... Uh, we we're gonna try to make a concerted effort to figure out how to do this. We're all here, but well, she's doing other, a lot of good in the world. Yeah, she is, and you know she's she's um, working hard and and uh, helping people who are going through difficult times. She's mm-hmm. a hospice social worker, mm-hmm. so I'm glad there are people like her uh, doing what they do. The Red Sea and the Mystery of Parenthood family, virtual family. We miss Stephanie miss her a lot so i get to see her when i go home though yes but, you that's true that is true yeah let's but, not, we don't want to give but i do but give I anybody do, the wrong I impression miss, i do miss her uh being part of the show because she always sometimes brings us down, down to earth so hopefully we'll keep it all on that i think we were talking about the um we've been talking about uh john paul ii's uh familiars consortio um on the christian family um in the modern world and the the tasks that that they had that um, the church kind of had laid out for them, um, and I'm trying to find where it was. Here it is. There are four tasks that that he lays out, and that he he says that we're and we've talked through one of them, and we're working through the second one. First one is forming a community of persons. Second task of the family is to serve life. The third is to participate in the development of society. And the fourth is sharing in the life and mission of the church. And today we're going to work on and hopefully get through at least the concepts that are laid out in um, in the second part, in the second one of those, which is serving, the family should serve life. And we started on that and just talking about um, the the infinite value of a human life. Um, that we can't really put a price on it, no matter no matter what. And the church is always going to do everything it can to serve life. Um, and there, if you remember, there was two parts in this. One, um, the first part was um, goodness gracious, I, I thought I was prepared. Uh, was transmitting life, and then the second one was education. So procreation mm-hmm. and education, which are laid out as the two fundamental um, meanings or purposes of, of married life. And I think that that's um, important. We were in the, in the, in the part about transmitting life and 
I think for right now, we're going to probably spend a good amount of time kind of just unpacking what he what he talks about with regard to um, what the church is calling. At, at this point, this was in the early 80s. He's calling on theologians in this section. Um, in particular, he's, you know, he's, he says that, well, first off, he starts off, as the church usually does, and as he always has, he said, they're certainly aware of the many complex problems which couples in many countries face today in their task of transmitting life in a responsible way. Um, she also recognizes the serious problem of population growth in the form it has taken in many parts of the world and its moral implications. However, she holds the consideration that consideration in depth of all aspects of these problems offers a new and stronger confirmation of the importance of the authentic teaching of birth regulation reproposed in the Second Vatican Council and in his encyclical Humanae Vitae. And so then he goes on and he says, for this reason, together with the Synod Fathers, the fathers that gathered, which is usually where these encyclicals come out of, is the gathering of the of the bishops, and he kind of takes all that's said and then and and then puts it in a document, kind of his his take on what was discussed. Right. He says, "I feel it's my duty to extend a pressing invitation to theologians, asking them to unite their efforts in order to collaborate with the hierarchical magisterium and to commit themselves to the task of." And here's critical. To il- of the task of il- illustrating ever more clearly the biblical foundations, the ethical grounds, and the personal and the personalistic reasons behind the doctrine with regard to married life and that. And I think I'm going to back up a little bit and say a few things that I think are important to um, remember that we've already said from a theological standpoint. The way John Paul II frames it, which is the way the church has always looked at it, is first, marriage is a sacrament. And and I'm going to say it, so hopefully everybody's just repeating it, but it's an outward or visible sign of invisible realities instituted by Christ to confer grace. And you're going to hear several things that he says in here that kind of speak to, this is not the church's teaching. <laughs> I mean, this is the church's teaching, but it doesn't come from the church, it's not something that the church has made up. It's something it's received and therefore is, is proposing as the way of God's plan. So it's instituted by Christ, God himself, second person of the Holy Trinity. And it's meant to give grace, which means it's meant to uplift, to um, raise up our natural um, means to help elevate our nature to where we can do things that we have. So we need grace but at this part, we're going to talk a lot about the the fact that it's a visible sign of an invisible reality. And in particular, to the, there's a lot here about conjugal love, about the about the act that makes marriage uh, indissoluble, um, the marital act, the conjugal act. And I think it's really important that you have a sense for what he's saying. So I'm going to quote something from him and then I'm going to go even a little bit further back in time and, and touch on Jesus. I've said this before, but I pulled this quote up so I could get exactly what, what John Paul II said. Um, Cause it's, it is, I think in one sentence or, or maybe a sentence plus um, a sentence plus uh, a few qualifiers, <laughs> which he tends to do. Um, it sums up the theology of the body and the way that the church looks at this. This is what John Paul II uh, wrote in his, not wrote, he spoke this, but it was captured in Theology of the Body. It says, The body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It was created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the invisible mystery hidden in God from time immemorial, and thus to be a sign of it. There's a lot. That's there's mm. a lot there. It, it was created, which means this is not something that we invented. It's the way He made man and woman. He created it that way, and He gave humanity, in and through its bo- their bodies, the job of transferring into visible reality of the world, the invisible reality 
of the mystery hidden in God for all time. Now think about that. That's a, that is a, (laughs) a big task. The body is meant to be an icon, to be an image, to be a sign of the invisible reality of the God who created it. So that's where we're meant to cooperate. And so an understanding of what the body is, because I think, I think the body is misunderstood. Um, in terms of the term, the body, because oftentimes we, we use the word body to when somebody passes away or somebody dies, we bury him, we bury the body. Technically, that's not, not from a theological standpoint what we're burying. We're burying the matter that once was the body, that, that was the person. Mm. And I want to get back to, to, to starting at this. He doesn't talk about this, but I think it's really important because it, it points to it points me back to who used the word of the body at the, one of the most critical junctures of his life was Jesus at the Last Supper, right? Um, let me just let me do this. I'm just going to say um, Jesus said to his to his apostles, take, eat, this is my body. And the way the church understands body means that that's the entirety of his person, right? The the entirety of him. Because we would say when when we receive the body of Christ in communion, right, we're receiving not just his humanity, but also his divinity. We're not receiving just his flesh in terms of just the flesh of a person, but we're receiving his soul. So we're receiving his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. Mm-hmm. So the idea of body is this entirety of a of a person that's wrapped up because we're human in a human being, right? God, he's a divine being, Jesus is, but we're human beings, and he's showing us when you say, this is my body given for you, he's saying, this is all of me. I'm not withholding anything. And so at the cross, when, when it says, you know, they, when they went to go make sure he was dead and they put a spear in his side, mm-hmm. the flood, there was nothing he didn't pour out for our salvation in his humanity or in his divinity. He's poured out everything of himself for the sake of who? <laughs> the bride, the church. And as a lot of people will point, the entirety of the Bible is pointing to this marital relationship between God and his people. I mean, marriage is from the beginning. God says, let man be, let, let us create man in our, our own image, male and female. He created them. So if that's the first page of the Bible. When you get to the end, it's the wedding feast of the lamb, right? I mean, that's what we're, we're going to a wedding banquet when we go to heaven, Right, and that's what we are participating in when we participate in the mass. So, his body is what fulfilled what God's design was for to reveal, as you know, Gaddy Mspeth says, to in revealing God as Trinity, he he reveals man to himself. Right, and so where do we look to find out not only what the meaning of the body is, but what does it mean if God is love and Jesus is God, then Jesus is love. And what does love look like? It's a pouring out of oneself for the sake of the other, the entirety of oneself, body, blood, and soul in the case of humanity, in the case of him as two natures, one person, he pours out the entirety of all this humanity and the entirety of all his divinity. Okay. So now could you untangle something for, for yeah. listeners? Yes. They might be wondering, and I'm guessing they might be wondering cause I'm wondering about this. We talk about even in the case of Christ, when he died and he was put into the tomb, his soul was separated from his body. Our soul gets separated from our body. Is that a, is that an imprecision in well, I'm not terms? I don't think it's, I think it's the only way we know how to understand what, what's being said, right? I mean, when somebody dies, we would say that when somebody dies, anybody, um, that the soul is left. That's the, that's the soul is the animating principle. It's, it's that which gives 
life, yeah, the life to that matter. Force of the it's the life, life, pr- it's the life principle. It's it's that. So I don't think it's imprecise to say body. It's just the word that we use, but it, we need to understand what, what the word means. When he's saying this is my body, he's not saying, okay, you're going to get what's left on the cross and come back. I mean, you're receiving all of him. Mm-hmm. And and the reason I'm getting at this is that what that is what love means is to give oneself completely and fully away, and understanding that a body, the body is not some lower form of us. It's the way we were intended to be. It's the way God created us. It's really because death entered the world because of sin, as Paul says in Romans, right? The wages of death, I mean, the wages of sin is death. Well, what's death is for this separation. Well, what do we profess every time we go to go to mass on Sunday? We profess the resurrection of the body. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the bringing back together the way God m- intends us as humans to be. We're meant to be bodily beings. This this mix of of spirit of soul and matter. Mm-hmm. Death is not the the state that we're intended to be for all time at some point we're after we die and at the at the resurrection of Jesus's second coming we're going to be reunited with our bodies you know with it'll be a glorified body because at that point assuming we're we are saved assuming that that one is they're they're going to be reunited and their bodies are going to be glorified as Jesus's body was glorified not it, similarly and it, so it won't look the same, but St. Thomas Aquinas will say that resurrection, by definition, means it is going to be actually reunited. Our souls, perfected, are is going to be reunited with the same matter that was ours mm-hmm. before, right? So it's not like they're pulling other things. He's going to bring back our, our bodies. So it's going to be the same, which is why, you know— this is you know, it's 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 interesting. This is sort of a tangent, but it's interesting to think about. In some ways, Christ is going to perform a greater miracle with the bodies of most human beings who have lived since the resurrection, because at his resurrection, the physical corpse hadn't decomposed. Right. But now it's you, he's going to be creating or recreating. Or recomposing a glorified body out of of matter that had has changed state or is is in a different physical form miracle and 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 I've heard people say you know will I know my spouse when I get to heaven or will I recognize what well I would say the answer is did they recognize Jesus they may have had trouble maybe initially like in you know. Mary Magdalene at the at the gravesite. He was talking to her. He didn't. She didn't initially recognize him. She didn't initially. The, the people on the road to Emmaus didn't initially right. recognize him. But right. ultimately, they did recognize him, even his glorified body. He even had the wounds that he went to St. Thomas and said, "Here, here, stick your hand in my side. See, this is this is the body that I." had before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) except now glorified Mm -hmm. and so i think that's a really important point first this is kind of an aside i find it really cool and um interesting that he did part of his glory was exactly what he underwent in his suffering right it wasn't like he rose and look. I don't have I don't have the wounds that happened to me, and they were kept primarily, I think, to number one show that he indeed had resurrected, but also that part of the glory is the suffering that we go th- that we go through. Part of part of the suffering that we have offered to God the way he, now he did it in perfection, right? Perfectly. Um, comes back and it's part of his glory are the are the wounds right it's not the dismissal of what he underwent when he walked in this planet it's actually the glorification of what he underwent for the love of god the father and for our for the, for the sake of us mm-hmm. but pretty cool aside 
But he makes himself right now present in what? In the in the Eucharist, right? That's where we, the priest will say these words, and, it, and those are the words of consecration. When the priest says, this is my body, that's when we say that that's the moment that it ceases to be bread and becomes his body, blood, soul, and divinity. When an ordained um, priest says those words over wheat bread— with the intention at the mass of what the what the mass is, he makes present again the paschal mystery, Jesus Christ himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so, I want to start with that as well. If if you go to a if you go to a, a Catholic mass and you see at the end, right? Have you ever? Well, first off, think about this, Thaddeus. Have you ever been where they ran out of consecrated hosts? I mean, the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity, right? And they're running out and they may only have one and there's three people left. Mm-hmm. What do they do? They'll typically break, break yep. the, but I, but I don't want a third of them. I want, <laughs> want all of them yep. in that, even the smallest part of him. But if you receive a third, you're receiving all of him. Right. If, at the end, when why do we why do the priests do what they do at the end in terms of cleansing the vessels and everything, right? Because even the stuff we can't really necessarily see, even those small parts that may have broken from the breaking of the bread are on are on the altar, and they they very carefully will fold it up and then they dispose of it very reverently after the mass. Why? Because even those smallest parts or particles of that contain the entirety of Jesus, right? Correct. So everything about him is contained in even the smallest portion of, of that. And the reason I bring that up is that gets to the way, that, the way that the church looks at the conjugal act, is that we take seriously the body because Jesus takes seriously the body, because God has revealed that he takes seriously the body. So when we say we're giving ourselves to our spouse, it's not just figurative. Everything that's part of us is, in some sense, if we hold, if we withhold some part of ourselves that's coming from us, from our from our wives, and that can be bodily, or it can be in whatever. I mean, it can be in keeping secrets or whatever. If we withhold something from them, then we're not giving ourselves completely to them. But the way the church looks at the act of consummating a marriage, the act, the act that makes a marriage indissoluble at the point of consummation, it is meant to be a gift entirely of all myself, of all that I have done, I mean, of all that I am, the entirety of who I am. Mm-hmm as it can be witnessed by what Jesus reveals and what the church still holds in practice, that any, even the smallest portion has got to be held in reverence because he is there. Same thing with us. We look at, at our bodies as something special, something holy, not something that's like holding us back. I mean, that's part of, I guess, the Manichaean, if I remember correctly, certainly an early heresy, that, that, that the body and all the stuff that's part of being human and earthly is somehow bad. And it's weighing us down, and we're trying to get away from it. That's not what. Well, that would be that would be Gnosticism. Yes, Gnosticism viewed the material world as as corrupt and bad. Yeah, may, the body yeah. is bad. I think there there have been multiple ones. I I don't know. That's not going to be in the Catechism, <laughs> but you can find it probably in the Catechism right. with regard to that. But anything that holds that somehow a human body is something less than meant to be holy, something less than important, something that is weighing us down like it's just bad stuff that's clinging to us. That's not the way that the church looks at us. Certainly there is sin, there's fallen nature, and there's all the things that come with that that can can make it seem like it's bad, I guess, but 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 it's not. The body is good. It was created by God, as John Paul II said, to make visible the invisible. So 
when the church gets to speaking about the the, the act, it says that in keeping with remember an outward sign of an of an invisible reality. Well, the the chief sign that it is of a of the invisible reality is actually a sign of the Trinity itself. This complete self gift that has been from eternity. Never was a time that wasn't God the Father pouring himself out to God the Son and the Son receiving everything that the Father has to give him and then in turn giving himself freely back to the Father, that gift, and that 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 eternal self-giving of the entirety of each of those persons actually takes the form, not like it in a different time, but the Holy Spirit is that love between the Father and the Son. Well, as I think we mentioned last time, that's the way the church teaches what's going on in, in, in the marital act. First, it's the sacrament mm-hmm. to confer grace, and that sacrament means it's a sign of something. It's a sign of the Trinity. And as a sign of the Trinity, it's meant to reflect, to be a sign of this complete and total self-gift that in doing that, and it's not, it's all analogies fall short (laughs) as all analogies fall short. Remember God said, page one of the Bible in Genesis, let us make man in our own image, male and female. He created them skipping a few verses, but male and female, he created them. Mm -hmm. And because, because of that, we look and say, so part of, accurately reflecting who God is through the body is this relationship between a man and a woman that is sanctified, made holy in, in and through two people giving themselves away freely one to the other. And then when, when that gift happens, sometimes in time, that love manifests itself in a person, mm-hmm. <laughs> a child who reflects to some degree both the both of the parents. And so that procreation, that life is something that we're called to be. I was at a wedding and, and Father Brian Eilers did a tremendous job, much better than I'm doing now, of talking about, you know, Free, they free. So Jesus says, "I freely laid down my life, right, and I will take it back up again." So there's a part of it that is free. I mean, he's not being forced to do what he's doing. Correct. Even when he talks to Pilate, he says, "You would have no authority over me if it hadn't been given to you by the Father." So if the Father gives it to me, gives it to you to do what you want to do with me, then I accept that because otherwise it wouldn't be. And so. He is accepting as from the Father what what happens, but he's laying down his life freely. And then faithfully, meaning he's faithful. Jesus is the perfect faithful to God the Father, to the to the train as the second person, fully faithful to that, would never and he's faithful to us as well. So faithful is another part of it. And fruitful. Total, I mean, total, we've kind of already talked about this idea of, of a full, complete giving of oneself. And then at the end, fruitful, that from it comes. So think about Christ revealed himself as the bridegroom. And as Paul says in Ephesians, the bridegroom in the church is the bride. And then what happens with that? The children that come, what are we called? Children of God, right? And we're meant as individuals to you in our unique way, given the gifts that we have, the talents, when we're, when we're in this world or not, to reflect to this world, this God who is love, who, because of what Christ did, and because he did it for the sake of his church, that he takes us in as children of God into his family. So the whole reveal, the revelation of who God is, is the idea of family and it starts with a marriage, this complete and total self-gift. So when the church says, when it's talk, you know, it's talking about the the biblical foundations. I think John Paul would point to the first page <laughs> of the Bible and say, "Look, God Himself is 
is saying, let us make man in our own image. And so he does it. We won't talk about the ethical, but, but he basically says that we're made for love. And this is what love looks like, this total self-gift without holding anything back. And that when we do that in and through that sign that is reserved for, for marriage, for the sacrament of holy matrimony, that we're open to the lives that may come from that, the, the manifestation, the concreteness of our love is in those people. I think it's beautiful. And I think that's what he's getting at here. And we've got a lot. I, if you ever get a chance, I've, I've only read parts of it. And you can always, you can, you know, Christopher West and the good news on sex and marriage. And you could go try, try to read John Paul II on, you know, theology of the body. You could pick up his, all of his talks. Those are a little bit difficult. And he's, but, but they're, they're meaty. <laughs> There's a lot there. But he's talking to theologians and saying, um, here's what he says, That's it, by, with them doing that, with the theologians illustrating biblical foundation, ethical grounds, and personalistic reasons behind this doctrine of marriage as being a sacrament on the teaching on, sec- on human sexuality, on the conjugal act. He says, if we have theologians, it will be possible in the context of in this an organic exposition to render the teaching of the church on this fundamental question truly accessible, and that's where I think reading somebody like Christopher West, I had a good I have a good friend one of my one of my dearest friends, um, a, a Protestant, and he called me kind of out of nowhere and said, "Have you ever heard of a guy named Christopher West?" And I said, "Yeah, of course. Why? Well, yeah, ask." He said. Well, he wrote this book about John Paul II and his teaching on human sexuality, and it's at 60 years old. I, I wish that I had this when I was growing up. Hmm. I wish wow. I had this when I was raising my kids. And I, I said, well, I've read a lot of it, but, but I don't know what, what specifically you're talking about. And the book is, and I've read parts of it, it's called Our Bodies Tell God's Story. It is, I don't know how recently it came out, but Our Bodies Tell God's Story and it's you know it's the subtitle is discovering the divine plan for love, sex, and marriage, and it's a biblically based something that's accessible to Protestants to other Christians with regard to this. But it but it makes sense, and I think I think that that's what he's trying to get at is wanting it to be accessible. I'm sure I'm not making it that accessible here. <laughs> I'm just hoping I'm. Uh, that the Holy Spirit is opening up people to hear this. But if you want to go read something, um, I would recommend either an older book, which was Christopher West, um, The Good News About Sex and Marriage, or a more recent book, Our Bodies Tell God's Story, Discovering the Divine Plan for Love, Sex, and Marriage. Um, And so now we get to the meat of this. It goes on, and this is all been kind of unpacked um, in the um, unpacked in several documents and things in the, in the past, but I want to read this. It says it is a precisely by moving from, and this is, this is a quote and he's this John Paul actually quoting Paul the sixth, an integral vision of man and of his vocation, not only his natural and earthly, but his supernatural and eternal vocation this integral vision is founded upon the inseparable connection willed by God and unable to be broken by man on his own initiative between the two meanings of the conjugal act, the unitive meaning and the procreative meaning. And I think that that, what that means is if we think about the conjugal act, there's a unitive meaning where the two become one flesh, which is what, which is what, John Paul will say a lot in Theology of the Body, but he's also going to talk about, and he'll also point to the fact that when we're married, we become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, let no money, no man divide. That unitive meaning is encapsulated bodily in that act. And that that must and cannot be separated from the procreative meaning of it, meaning that that act actually 
um, is open to resulting in what love, a total self-gift of oneself, can give, can end up in life. Mm-hmm. Does that make it does make sense? I think it just bears pointing out that for many decades, the there was more stress or more emphasis on um, maintaining the procreative aspect of the right. sexual act. And now because of further developments in technology and further developments in social uh, mores, now there's more, even there's, there's also a threat to the unitive aspect of the act, you know, with reproductive technologies like surrogacy and or even, st- even cloning, uh, clo- human cloning, um, um, you know, embryonic, um, fetal development, um, all the, all those... in, in the laboratory, human life is being procreated. Yes, but it's being wrenched away from the unitive, the coming together of the two Bodies. human beings, right. the mother and the father bodily to create that, that life. And, and all the theological background that you gave us demonstrates why it's so critical for those two aspects to be united to one another, to, to always be held um, tightly together. to one another. And and I and so I think in, on the show there's just another point. Paul the sixth, Saint Paul the sixth now, right? He's already he's been mm-hmm. he's been yes. canonized. He continues after saying that you know the inseparable connection between the two meanings of the conjugal act. Every so he says, intrinsically moral is every act which either anticip, in anticipation of the conjugal act or in its accomplishment or in the development of its natural consequences proposes the church proposes whether that proposes whether as an end or as a means to render procreation impossible any of those things that render procreation impossible would be in conflict with and contrary to this fact that we as bodies are meant to be signs of God himself who is united in the trinity and who is the source of all life, right? Life doesn't come. He's the, the source of life. And so I'll just continue on because there's a really cool distinction here, which I've never heard the words used this way. I've, I've understood it. He says, um, when couples by means of recourse to contraception separate these two meanings that God the Creator has inscribed in the being of man and woman and in the, in the dynamism of their sexual communion, they act as arbiters, quote-unquote, of the divine plan. They act as arbiters of the divine plan, and they manipulate and degrade human sexuality and with it themselves and the married partner by altering its value of total self-giving. Mm-hmm. Now those are, I mean, that, those are strong words, but the word of, as, of arbiter... I, 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 as an arbiter, didn't look up what it means, but I take it as being, you know, I'm kind of in charge of this. I, I'm, I'm in control and I can choose because I'm in of doing that. Now, if you go, you know, um, so again, I'll just, continue. it's a, yeah, it's a, a dis, the decider or the, the, um, the person who's in charge to, who's charged with, with, uh, authority or power to, see that some things happen and other things don't happen. Right. I think That's I would assume we would get arbitration from that same, that right. same root, that ne- kind of a negotiating um, and, uh, and allowing certain things t- to take place and, and others not to take place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's really an arbiter and he goes and he continues. That's the innate language. And again, hear that there's this body language, Right this innate language that expresses the total reciprocal meaning back and forth self-giving of husband and wife is overlaid through contraception by an objectively contradictory language that of not giving oneself totally to the other. And this is my point, you know, (laughs) with going back to it, the way the church looks seriously at the, the fullness of a human person is all of their 
bodily being, so to withhold something of my body from you, my wife, is to actually speak a language contrary to this total self-gift. Mm-hmm. That's how seriously we take the body, mm-hmm. because it alone is capable of making visible the invisible. The most invisible, most important thing that we can make visible to this world is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I kind of go um, back to to the, another word he uses. So this is interesting because I've I've done lots of um, kind of ta- talking theology with people who are preparing for marriage, and lots of times you know isn't the church's teaching just you know um, another type of contraception, right? And this is what it's, what what he says in the very next paragraph. When in, when instead by means of recourse to the periods of infertility, the couple respect the inseparable connection between the unitive and procreative meanings of human sexuality, they are acting as, instead of arbiters, ministers of God's plan. And they benefit from their sexual sexuality according to the original dynamism of the total self-giving without manipulation or alteration. And people always ask, you know, if you work through the cycles of a woman, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I know that, you know, a woman is, only fertile, you know, typically what, three to five days, maybe during, during that time, but there's how many days in a month. And he's saying, that's the way God created. If he if he intended for that act to always produce a child, then he would have made them fertile for the entirety of the time. Mm -hmm. But instead we're cooperating with God's plan and taking seriously what the body reveals about itself in the fertility of the woman. And that's critical to an understanding of taking seriously. We're we're about to, we're about to, we're entering into our preparation for the incarnation, right? We as Christians should take the body seriously, the human body seriously and the way it works, the way it acts and understand our bodies are what the temples of the Holy spirit. Our bodies are, how we cooperate with God in the procreation of children. Our bodies are how we reach out to other people, you know, friends that we hug. It's how we get from here with the food we're bringing to somebody who's going through a tough time. I mean, our bodies are, are what are what we use to make concrete <laughs> what love is, to give oneself and what one has to someone else for the sake of it. And, and in and through specifically the marital union within the context of a uh, sacrament of holy matrimony, it's a very special way. And so I think it's... I think it's interesting that, never thought about this connection before, but he's using the language of cycle. Except this, he says right. here... Um, between the difference, both anthropological and moral, between contraception and recourse to the rhythm of the cycle, the choice of the natural rhythms involves accepting the cycle of the person to accept the cycle and to enter. So I was reading that and I'm, and I'm thinking about it's, it is very enlightening or it's, it's interesting that, that Catholicism has a, mode of worship that's cyclical right we have a liturgical cycle yeah i mean human just living i mean the way god created the the universe is cyclical right i mean we're entering into winter you know mm-hmm. the days are getting shorter the, the the light you know is getting shorter it soon will start getting lo- larger i mean longer and then it'll start warming up i mean of course in texas you know <laughs> doesn't always work, but, but the seasons there's, you know, we know, have a pretty good idea that when June, July, August hits, it's not going to be 58 degrees. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's part of that. It's part of that kind of working with the way God has revealed in and through his creation, part of it being the, the, the woman's cycle, but at the same time, everything's 
cyclical. I mean, even you know our lives, we we grow old, we we die. There's new life coming in. It's all it's all kind of this. yeah. And, I, and it takes me back to on a episode. So this is several years ago now when we had Monica Ashour on um, theology of the body evangelization team, friend of the show. We were talking about the connection between holy orders and holy matrimony, those two sacraments. And we were speculating a little bit, or, or at least, you know, kicking around the idea of there is a, there is a way in which talking about the mass and the consecration of the elements, it's appropriate to, to see that a consummation going on there. Like there is a consummation of the, right. of the marriage right. under holy in holy matrimony there's a, a consummating of the uh, the priest's orders happening at every mass right he's yeah, bringing I mean, he's bringing his yeah i don't i don't know it's not uh, this is not perfect I'm, this is more no, it's speculation not, this is more speculation but but at the same time i think there's some truth in in understanding it that way because if you think about what's what is meant to be to be an active participant in the mass mm-hmm. right you know, before, right before the Eucharist, the liturgy of the Eucharist, I mean, we give our gifts, right? Mm-hmm. The put money in the play, whatever. And, and we've talked about the fact that we're meant to place ourselves, the entirety of ourselves on that patent. Right. Together with the, together with what is at that point, the bread. Right. And so there is a sense in which we unite ourselves and that 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 union, I think, becomes real. Mm-hmm. The entirety of ourselves, to the extent we're actively participating and giving, I'm give all of myself to you. I withhold nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the acts I've done, but you know, all the good things I've done, all my sinfulness, the entirety of who I am, I'm essentially placing in that basket, or I'm even further putting it on the patent together with the bread, so that. When he says, this is my body, my offering is now made, is together with him. And mm-hmm. there's a union that becomes, mm-hmm. that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. That's, that is uh, real, <laughs> not just figurative. Right. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I did a paper a long time ago. It just came to my mind. I wrote it for Father Mitch Packwood's class, and it was on, the word koinonia, which is you know the word that's translated, is, is not is not our participation in the cup, a participation in the in the blood. That that's in, I think, First Corinthians like ten or eleven, and that word participation in Greek is koinonia. Mm-hmm. And part of my part of my talk was that that word koinonia. One of the one of the um, translations of that word is the conjugal act is, is that level of intimacy. Mm. And if you look at the way Paul talks about it, you know, you, why would you, we wouldn't mingle. I mean, you wouldn't mingle like the sacrifices of demons, you know, with, with this, you wouldn't, you know, he he talks about it and and it's a very real way that he's talking about it. It's not just a sign. In fact, he goes so far as to say, you know, some of you by not, in not recognizing the body, but still receiving are sick. <laughs> if it was just a sign, how would that be? And so, so I, I don't think there's any stretch, even from biblical times, to say that what's happening in that moment on the altar is the most real of all unions, which is why this, the Eucharist should be the center of any marriage. And like any other sacrament, the strength of, I mean, it's flowing from what Christ pours out, which is made present again in the mass at the consecration and throughout. Right. I mean, and so anyway, I just think, I mean, I think that's an interesting point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't quote it as being um, that, but I do think it's something to chew on to, to see how seriously Paul takes read Paul on, on the Eucharist and the way he teaches it. And you realize he's not talking about a mere sign. It is a sign, but there's a reality that's mm-hmm. that is more important than the sign, a reality that's made present. And so anyway, um Yeah, I think if nothing else, the connection to the 
the existence of the liturgical cycle being important, my observation about um, the Mass, it I think it just helps to show that, if nothing else, the, ter- the Church's teaching on sexuality is it's tied to and it's reflective of how we how we worship God and and how we are called into communion with God right liturgically yes which is the heart of our of our faith exactly and that 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 our that in a marriage that that union is meant to accurately reflect. There's a, there's a consonance between all those things. Right. They're meant, it's meant to accurately reflect what Jesus did for us. He gave himself completely. He gave himself without reservation to the point of even pouring out his blood right. uh, for us. He gave himself freely. Doing, I'm giving all of myself totally of my own volition. I'm, there's no nobody making me do this. Um, free, faithful, that I'm doing it because I love you, you people, the that I'm dying for. And I love God, the father who is asking me to do this. Therefore I, I do that. And that that becomes fruitful. Mm-hmm. And so the marital act as he's teaching here and has been unfolded over the last few decades is that accurate reflection in the conjugal act in human sexuality within the context of holy matrimony is meant to accurately reflect that, that free faithful, uh, total and fruitful, um, invisible reality, who is God himself. And so anyway, hope that wasn't too deep. I hope, I hope it's something you touch. I pray that it's something I always love to, um, think about it, but always, uh, always remember only God can take the mystery out of parenthood, pray parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you. He always will pray for us. We'll be praying for you. God bless. See you next time. Bye.